I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And while you're turning there, uh, a couple things. If you have a phone and you tweet or Facebook or do anything like that and you hear something good today, would you uh, update your status with that thing that you hear? Would you tweet that out and uh, expand our audience here by doing that? Also, today is, uh, there might be some questions, right, that come up in your brain. If they do, I will be right here after the service and uh, you can come ask me questions if you have any. So, we are at the tail end, this is the very last week of our Holy Spirit series. And through this series, each week we have talked about the Holy Spirit and the different things that He does for us and and through us and with us. And we've talked about that He convicts the world, He leads us, He seals us with His assurance of salvation, He comforts us, He assures us, He gives us gifts. And after those things that we've talked about in previous weeks... If you scan the New Testament, you come to all of these different commands that we are given concerning the Holy Spirit. We are to uh, not grieve the Holy Spirit. We are not to quench the Holy Spirit. We're not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We are to worship in the Holy Spirit. We are to serve by, to speak by, to walk by, to be led by, to keep in step with, to grow in the fruit of, to pray in the Holy Spirit. You see how many weeks we could potentially take with this, right? But today, there's a specific command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And the command is this, that Paul writes, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with with the Holy Spirit. What is Paul teaching? And let's begin with the exact words that he writes. Let's all say them together. I think they're on the screen. He says this, Ephesians 5.18. Read it with me. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, right away, okay, Paul puts a picture in our minds that we might not expect drunkenness. Where did that come from? Why in the world is Paul putting drunkenness in with this talk about the Holy Spirit? Well, there are a few reasons. There's a historical reason. If you'll think back to what happened in Acts chapter 2, do you remember when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples? It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And then all kinds of strange and great and extraordinary things started happening, one of which was that they started talking in languages that they had previously not known before. And onlookers, do you remember what they looked on and said? They must be drunk, right? Remember that? Anybody? I see three hands. Awesome. Great. There's a historical reason. Maybe Paul is remembering Acts chapter 2. There's a social reason. The Christians that he's writing to in Ephesus were once pagans. They are very familiar with drunkenness as worship. There was a god called Dionysius. And as a matter of fact, Dionysius was nicknamed the god of wine. And the worship of Dionysius was recognized for its wild music, its wild dancing, its madness, its ecstasies, its sexual perversions. That was their worship, and it was all brought about by drunkenness. They had to be drunk in order to worship their God. And what Paul is dealing with is not just a social problem here. He is trying to warn them against abandoning God and falling back into the worship of a pagan God that they were very familiar with. So there's that reason. There's also a textual reason. That's Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, 
he continues the flow of writing in which he uses several contrasting ideas. He's talk, he talks before this about the old self versus the new self. He talks before this about living in darkness versus stepping out into the light. He talks before this about foolish ways of living versus wise ways of living. And so he compares and contrasts these ideas, and this is right in line with that. He says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a contrasting, competing idea here. And so he puts these ideas together, and so I want to uh, ask us to do the same this morning, because there must be similarities between these two ideas, being drunk and being in the Spirit, but also there are dissimilarities. There are, they are opposed because Paul, Paul says, don't be this, but do be this. So, to start, we probably need to talk about what it means to be drunk. That might be a simple conversation, but really when you understand it, maybe not. The word here means to be soaked. It means to be dominated. We could say it this way, it means to be controlled. And in this case, the thing that is doing the controlling is wine or alcohol. That's what Paul points to. And it's easy to see why control is the issue. Because Paul, in our world, we, we are concerned about blood alcohol content, right? We have a little number. And if you're above the number, you're drunk. And if you're under the number, you're not. Paul is not worried about that. There is no such thing as that. What Paul is worried about is control. Drunkenness is not so much of a result of how much alcohol is in you, but it's the result of how much the alcohol has you. Right? Some people can drink quite large amounts, and alcohol never really has them. Others can't drink it at all and haven't for years, and yet it still has them. That's why they stay away from it. You understand? It's about control. And so Paul states the obvious. When alcohol has you, that's drunkenness. And what does it lead to? What is the word he uses? Debauchery. Debauchery is what my translation says. And this word debauchery means to be spilled out. It means to be squandered. It means to be wasted. Do you remember in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he gets his inheritance from his father. He goes off to a far land and he wastes his money in riotous living. That's our word. As a matter of fact, the American Standard Version, if you're looking at that, will actually translate it here, riot. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to riot. Riot is the word that is used there. Think about the riots that are happening in our country right now. Think about Baltimore. Think about what happened in St. Louis and Ferguson. Think about, put your political uh, opinions aside for a second. Just think about those large groups of people. There is a large group of action, an incredibly large group of resources, of manpower, and that incredibly large group of actions and resources and manpower could have been used to build up, to do something productive. But what is it? It's wasted. It's squandered. It's It's actually destructive. It tears down people. It tears down property. And here's lots of power and potential totally wasted. That's our word, debauchery, riot. And that's what being drunk leads to. And so Paul means by being drunk that we are controlled by a substance, in this case wine, which leads to the squandering of time and resources and potential 
And if I were honest, wow, way more than just alcohol can get us to that stage, right? But he says being filled with the Holy Spirit is both like and unlike that. So, let's dive in. First, a comparison. How are those two alike? How in the world would being filled with the Holy Spirit be like being drunk? Well, it's like being drunk and just like someone willfully takes a substance in and then submits to its control, right? We as Christians are called to, after we invite the Spirit in, allow Him to soak us, to dominate us, to control us. Now, let's backtrack just a little bit what we've learned in previous weeks. When we become Christians, at our baptism, what we learned in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we get the forgiveness of sins, but we also get the gift of what? The Holy Spirit, yes. And so, at our conversion, we receive the Holy Spirit. And from then on, we have Him. He's in us, He's working through us, and the opportunity for Him to completely dominate us is always present. And Paul is saying here with this command, it is a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Make sure over and over again to submit your, yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. And I have to ask myself, why are there times where he doesn't dominate me like I think he should? Why do I sometimes act like Let's be honest, I don't have him at all. Maybe you're there. One of the points in this series that Kevin has done a good job of explaining is that the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a he, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. And that's very important because the Holy Spirit is not a force that zaps us. It's not a current that we have to try to tap into. Uh, all sorts of other religions around the world have this idea as the central point, that, that, that God is some force, and the goal is to try to immerse yourself in that force so that you can become like God. That's what they will teach. That's not Christianity. Christianity is where we worship a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Christianity doesn't teach you to tap into a force so that you can be God. It teaches you to understand God as a person so that you can know God. That's a big difference. And because he's a person, we have to relate to him like we would any other person. Think about what happens in normal relationships. In normal relationships, we have people in our lives and we fill our lives with them by conversing with them, by learning about them, by hanging around them, with them, by getting to know them, by having this dialogue back and forth. And that is never a passive thing. It doesn't work if the other person is an impersonal force. With people, there is a relational process that has to happen. I have to be open and willing to communicate with you, and you have to be open and willing to communicate with me, and we go back and forth and back and forth, and we fill each other up. And so the Holy Spirit is a person in my life, just like any other person, and he is always ready to deepen the relationship. And like I said, if you're a Christian who has accepted Jesus as God's son and the sacrifice for your sin, and you've accepted him by grace and through faith and in baptism, then he is already in you. He just doesn't have all of you 
Yes, that's the case with all of us. And to the degree that we are willing to be open and let him soak us, let let him influence us, let him control us, we will be filled. And that's why the filling is like being drunk. It's not so much of the Holy Spirit is in you, it's how much the Holy Spirit has you. Now, as far as comparisons go, that's about as far as we can press the picture, because at the end of the day, Paul is not really concerned about the comparison. What he's really concerned about is the contrast. How are these things different? That's his main thrust. And so we need to ask, how is being filled with the Holy Spirit not like being drunk? How is it the opposite of that? Well, if drunkenness is being controlled negatively and leads to being out of control, then it's easy to say that being Holy Spirit is exactly the opposite. In other words, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be controlled positively, and that will lead us to extraordinary control. Remember the word debauchery that was used, wasted, squandered, spilled out. Those who are filled with the Spirit are exactly the opposite of that. Not, they are not out of control, but they are in control. I don't know what um, sport you are watching right now, whether it's the NBA Finals, uh, maybe some golf tournaments they're on. Uh, the Royals are big right now. Let me ask you, why can you not cover center field like Lorenzo Kane? Why is that? It's because he has been controlled so that he is in control, right? His life is about being controlled. He trains and he lifts and he runs and he diets with the right food and he practices his craft and therefore he can do things that I can't do, right? And neither can you. And generally speaking, he hasn't wasted his time, his efforts on things that did not contribute to his goal of being an elite center fielder in the major leagues. One of the primary indications of a spirit-filled life is that we are in control. We are controlled by the Holy Spirit so that we are in control. It is full of self-control and balance. It makes the most of time and opportunities. Its schedule is under control. Your tongue is under control. Her desires are under control. His emotions are under control. Our bodies are under control. And yes, even our alcohol content is under control. I find it fascinating, and a lot of commentators do too, that Paul does not say here what we expect him to say. What it would be... Man, it would be so much easier if he would just say this, but he doesn't. He doesn't say that the opposite of drunkenness is prohibition. What an opportune time to say that, right? What he says is control. Control. Using alcohol as food is one thing, but using it to find answers for your life is quite another, and that's what Paul is trying to keep us from. Don't be controlled by that. Be controlled by this. Not by wine, but the Holy Spirit. Be controlled so that you are in control. And that is quite the opposite of being drunk, right? Here's the truth. No one has ever stood up to a pulpit or a podium and received some great award, 
a gold medal or some meritorious achievement award or some Nobel Prize or some other great accolade, accolade. And when they got to the podium, thanking everybody on their list, they came to this. I want to thank drunkenness for my success. Nobody does that. Why? Because drunkenness doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't produce anything. It doesn't earn anything positive. It is someone being controlled by the wrong thing so that they are out of control. And being filled with the Spirit means the opposite. It means that I am being controlled by the right thing so that I am under control and I am letting Jesus be the Lord of my life and call the shots. Here's a second way that being drunk is opposed to being filled with the Spirit. There's a guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and in the 20th century, he was headed to become a medical doctor, but instead he became a theological one, and he spent the rest of his life preaching. And presumably, because of his medical background, when he came to this text, he pointed out this, that alcohol is a depressant. It's a depressant. Any pharmacology book will tell you that, and depressants do just what it sounds like they do. They depress parts of the brain. They shut parts of the brain down. And so, the things that you should be thinking of when you are drunk, like consequences and ramifications and outcomes, all of a sudden don't seem that important anymore. People explain it this way. I'm happy. I'm loose. I'm feeling good, right? Why? Because you cannot effectively take in all of reality anymore because you are under the influence of a depressant and you don't see as much of reality. And the normal healthy caution you might exercise by thinking through your actions isn't there anymore. The normal filters are gone. And so when people are drunk, all of a sudden they become really bold and they say dumb things. All of a sudden they, uh, they become really confident, and they do dumb things. All of a sudden, they become really open and interested and willing and vulnerable, and they make bad decisions because the parts of the brain that should be telling them to stop aren't working anymore. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones went further, and he said this, and I'm paraphrasing this, okay? He said, if alcohol is a depressant, then the Holy Spirit is exactly the opposite. He's a stimulant, but not just a stimulant, not just any stimulant. He is the stimulant. And he points out, if alcohol makes you see less of reality so that you're temporarily happy or bold or carefree, then the Holy Spirit is able to accomplish the same thing in exactly the opposite way. The Holy Spirit does not depress reality, but awakens it. The Holy Spirit helps me see all of reality, every truth. It heightens my awareness and opens my eyes to everything that is true. It leads me to joy and to boldness and peace by letting everything in, by disclosing the whole truth rather than filtering things out of my mind. He is the stimulant. And you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? Let me walk you through an example that may help. Well... Let's say you lost your job. That's a bummer, right? That's serious. We need to deal with that. And there are lots of ways to manage a that. Lots of ways to manage it. Not just alcohol, but let's stay consistent with our picture, right? Let's say that you choose 
to deal with that by stopping on the way home and getting a six-pack or a 12-pack or whatever. And by that evening, all of that is gone, and you've forgotten for a time, temporarily, about your job situation. The chemical has taken away the reality, and you're happy, and you're at peace, even though it is a temporary and manufactured happiness and peace, which means you'll have to do it again tomorrow if you want that to stay around. Paul, here, commands for Christians. He commands us to manage that situation in a different way. He says, you lost your job. That's a bummer. That's serious. That needs to be dealt with. The command is, instead of turning to a substance, turn to the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that help? Let me help. The Holy Spirit doesn't depress. He stimulates. He heightens my awareness. He discloses all of the truth to me. He comes into the exact same situation and he says, take a look at all of your reality, not just the reality that you lost your job. Yes, you're unemployed. That's true. That's reality. That's serious. But don't forget about everything that else that is also true because you are in Christ. The God you serve is the writer of history, and he promised he will never forsake you. He promised to provide for you. He instructed you not to worry. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. Don't worry. He taught you not to worship money or a job, but to worship the God who can supply the money and the job. He proved by what he did on the cross, that he will be your significance and your worth. And you don't have to look to a job, a little job, to be those things. You are significant and valuable because you are a child of God. You see how this works? He wants you to see all of reality. And because you have all the information, you now have the power to walk the situation. What is the saying? Information is power. Right? And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. He wants to lead you into every truth possible and give you all the information that is true that will help you through. He is the stimulant. And that results not just in power, but in strength and in peace and in trust. And then joy comes. And even in the midst of a trying and difficult time, there is strength. Why? Because He's making you more of your aware of your reality in Jesus, not less. He's not depressing the truth. He's letting it shine in. He is the stimulant. Now, let me tell you what's really happening here, okay? It's pretty simple. By expanding your reality, by giving you all the information, the Holy Spirit is simply telling you the truth, right? And if you've been paying attention during these weeks in this series, you will know that that has been the Holy Spirit's job from the beginning. The Holy Spirit works through truth. The Holy Spirit never works apart from the Word, which is truth. What was the Holy Spirit's job as told to us by Jesus? Do you remember back in John chapter 16? What did he say? He said, another counselor will come and he will lead you into all what? Truth. Truth. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
means this, that I actively make the truth, especially about Jesus and what he has done, shine in my mind. So let's practice that. Let's make it a little repetitive here. When I ask what the Holy Spirit's job is, I want you to say to shine the truth about Jesus. Easy enough, right? What's the Holy Spirit's job? One more time. What's the Holy Spirit's job? And it shines so that you have the power to change, so that you have all of reality, not just a part. It shines the truth of Jesus in your life so that your joy can never be brought down by circumstances. What's the Holy Spirit's job? So, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is this, to be filled with the truth. Be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be filled with the truth. Let me press that one step farther. Where do you find truth? Well, to be honest, there are lots of places that we can find truth, even, ironically, at the end of a bottle. Ask a lot of people who had that in their past, where they came to the reality that uh, this isn't the answer. That's truth, right? Yeah. But the number one place to find truth is the Word the scripture, the Bible, because it tells us who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And I am filled with the Spirit when I am filled with the truth of God. Some of you are saying, I don't think it's that simple. I've seen other people and I've heard heard other things. Don't you have to pass out to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I cannot answer all of that, right? I'm not going to do that today. I'm not sure I can, but I know that it starts here. It is absolutely, it may be more than this, but it's absolutely not less than this. It has to start here. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means I am filled with the truth about Jesus. I have three quick thoughts to help you. Number one, do a quick survey, especially in the book of Acts, of the phrase full of the Holy Spirit, or filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts specifically, the disciples were, Peter was, Stephen was, Saul, who would become Paul, was. They are all described as being full of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, right after that label is given, that they were full of the Holy Spirit, to a person, the very next event in all of these texts was that these people spoke the truth about Jesus. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means being filled with the truth about Jesus. Here's number two, Luke chapter 4. You remember what happens in Luke chapter 4. The first sentence will tell us that Jesus was full of what? The Holy Spirit. And because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit out into the desert, and he was tempted by Satan there. Okay, so here's Jesus, the Son of God, and he is full of the Holy Spirit, and Satan is tempting him in the wilderness with three specific temptations. What was his defense? After all, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, we would expect miracles. We would expect power. We would expect authority, right? What was his defense every time when Satan tempted him? Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. What comes out of Jesus, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, is the truth of God. 
God's words. Being filled with the Holy Spirit equals being filled with the truth of God, the truth of Scripture. Here's number three. Um, There's a parallel passage to this text in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read what happens after Paul gives us this command because these are the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what will happen when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And you will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul will will share the same kind of ideas in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He will give a command that I've blanked out for now, and then he will say the results of doing this are this, and they will ring familiar to you. You have it on your screen. It says this, the results of this command will mean that you will teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. You will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are there some similar, pass- some similar phrases in both of those texts? Say yes, yes, because there are. They're the same phrases except one, and that's the first one. Throw that up there. What is the command? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit and all of these things will happen. In Colossians, he says, let the word dwell in you richly. Fill yourself with the truth about Jesus. Fill yourself with Scripture and all of these same results will happen. Both lead to the same results and we have to say that they are both very connected, right? To be filled with the Spirit is so tightly connected to letting God's Word dwell in us richly that we have to say that they're almost synonymous. And there it is. If there is a secret to being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is this. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of God, the truth, the message of Jesus. And what is that truth? Oh, we try to share it every week, right? It's the truth that Jesus is God's son, that he came to this earth to live as a man, that he lived his perfect life. He atoned for my sins with that perfect life through his sacrificial death. When he died, God himself resurrected him from the dead, and he offers me salvation. He offers me a right standing before God. He offers me life even after I die, even though I am a sinner. If I just trust him, that's the truth. That's the message of Jesus. And that's why Paul commands us, be filled. Be filled with that. We cannot ignore it. It has to be just as, if not more forceful, as the command to stay sober. Don't be drunk. Do be filled. It's also a present tense command, meaning be filled and keep on being filled. Keep at it. One time isn't enough. Every day we have to fill ourselves. We are like buckets with holes in the bottom of them. If we don't continually fill the top, we will be empty. And the command 
is for us all. Both of them. Paul says, none, no one of you is to get drunk. But all of you are to be filled. And it's no coincidence that what he writes here has direct influence on what he writes after. In the book of Ephesians, he will spend time talking about the relationships that wives have with husbands. He will spend time talking about the relationships that bosses have with their employees. He will spend time talking about the relationships that parents have with their children and vice versa. And it is no coincidence that Paul gives us this command before he talks about those things because we are sunk We are absolutely at loss to try to navigate those relationships without actively making sure over and over again that we are filling ourselves up with the truth about Jesus and it is shining in our lives. What's the Holy Spirit's job? A little weaker that time, but that's okay. Some minutes have passed, right? What's the Holy Spirit's job? The command we are all given is to make sure we let the truth about Jesus into our lives over and over every day by consistently taking in God's word. And when we do, we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are continuing the conversation that he started with us. We are treating him as a person. We're hanging around him. We're getting to know him more and more. And we understand more and more the God who loves us and calls us his children. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to let the Word dwell in you richly. That is simple, but it's not easy. It involves work and patience and struggle and persistence. And it, and it involves letting the Word say over and over us, to us again the truth that we are more flawed, we are more sinful than we could have imagined, but at the very same time, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are more loved, We are more righteous, we are more accepted by God than we could ever dare hope. We are sinners beyond help, but he is a savior beyond compare. Fill yourself with that. Let's pray. Father, help us to determine each day to fill ourselves with the truth of Jesus. And in doing so, We pray that we would be people full of your Holy Spirit. The truth is in the fact that Jesus is the only way to gain a right standing with you. He's the one who has lived a perfect life according to the law, but was punished and died for those who haven't so that they could have life. And that's what the Spirit is always pointing to. Help us to remember that the answers aren't in an empty bottle. The real answer is only found in a person. In the name of that person our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray that you continue to fill us with what is real. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Would you stand? You should be a Christian today. Not because Christianity is wonderful, though it is. You should be a Christian today, not because it's exciting, though it is. You should be a Christian today, not because it brings joy, though it does. You should be a Christian today, not because it solves your problems, though it will. The reason you should be a Christian today is because the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, 
is true. It's true. What's the job of the Holy Spirit? Let him do his job today. Be filled.